Hey, thanks for being with us. I want to welcome the Malbus campus, Mobile campus. Thanks for being with us. And let's do this, guys. Mobile guys, Malbus guys, uh, let's give a big shout out to everybody who's online with us right now, live watching. Can we give a shout out to them? Yeah. Well, for those of you at the Malbus campus, you probably know, noticed some of the walls are starting to go up, and we are really excited about that for the new worship center. And we'll, you'll, you'll see a lot of dramatic changes next week, so we're excited for that. Also, let me say about the Wild Game event, uh, two things. Uh, I know the tickets are advertised at $25, but uh, I'm lowering it to $20 this weekend. So if you get one this weekend, it's $20. And if you cannot afford a ticket, tell them to give you one and put it on my tab. Okay? Uh, not the church, but I'll pay for it. Uh, now, the guys have come up to me later and said my tab's up to $2,000 right now. So I, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, I'll take care of it. But if you can't come because of money, I want you here. We're going to have a great time Friday night of just fellowship and some good food and things. So I look forward to seeing you this weekend. Well, we're in part four of a series we've entitled Giant Killers. And uh, here's, here's, where, here's how we got here, okay? We went back and we looked at the God's people who are in slavery and they were set free. Uh, and then God says, listen, I have a promised land for you. You're not going to live in Egypt. You're not going to be in slavery. Here's the promised land. They sent in the spies, the 12 spies. Ten come out with a negative report, and two, Joshua and Caleb, come out with a positive report and said, oh, the land is wonderful. It's ours because God says it's ours. Let's go take it. Well, what we discovered in the Scripture is that there are at least seven different people groups that live in that land. And so 45 years later, Joshua goes in, he takes the land, and they utterly destroy these people groups. From these people groups, what we have is what we call types and shadows or foreshadowing of something in the natural. And then over where we are today in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, is types of spirits that exist. So the nature and the character of these people groups, how they fall, their characteristics, that type of spirit still exists today. So let me kind of read the platform of where we're looking at the people groups. It's Deuteronomy 7 and 1. And in your Bibles or devices, you can turn to Joshua 1 and then turn to 2 Corinthians 10. That's where I want you to look. But this is the platform. I'm reading this platform out of a different translation than last week. So just, just to give you a little different insight out of the New Living Translation. Uh, verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show no mercy. Those are the people groups. Last week we looked at a group called the Hittites. The Hittites operated with fear to produce confusion. And here's how that related back to us today is the fear of man. And if you missed that, you can go online and watch it. But we talked about this spirit that brings a fear of man. And uh, I, I, if you missed it, I really would love for you to see it so you can catch up. This weekend, we're talking about the Girgashites. Now, the Girgashites are a very interesting group because the word means unstable and double-minded. So when the pressures of this giant come, when the pressures of this spirit come, your inner confidence is, is diminished and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to respond. The Girgashite spirit is one of being double-minded and unstable. Now, double-minded in the New Testament, here it has two meanings. So let, let me show you those real quickly. 
Double-minded means one, divided loyalty. You, you can't decide if it's God or not God, or you're, you don't need God or you do need God. It's divided loyalty, and, and you, you're just wherever the wind blows. The second definition of, of uh, double-minded means strife within yourself. And so when the pressures of this spirit come and you lose your confidence, you, you don't know what to do. You don't know, we've never had this happen before. We don't know how to do this. I'm not sure how to handle. I can't make a decision. The last decision, decision I made failed, and I'm scared to do another one. All of these things. So something being double-minded is just normal, and that's the, just the way that, that you are. If you're double-minded in things in the natural, you'll be double-minded in things in the spiritual issues of your life. When you do this, you pick things up, you lay things down, and here you go, and that way you go, and here and there, and you end up, you will be defeated that way by this spirit. Now, here's the question for this entire message. What do we do with this spirit? What do we do with this spirit? Because God said to these people that we're to utterly destroy them and defeat them. So what do we do with the spirit? Well, I have three points to this message, and I want to make a, a, a disclaimer in the very beginning so you don't panic. The first point, I'm going to spend 90% of my time. So when I get to point two, don't leave. It's like one, two minutes, okay? And point three is like one or two minutes, okay? It's all, it's the, the ba you'll see why the, the base of this is all wrapped up in the point, number one. So here's point, what do we do with the spirit? Number one, take positive action. We must learn not to act according to our feelings, but act according to the word of God. Here's what happened. Moses, the great leader who led them out of bondage, he dies. Joshua, his associate, his right hand, who's going to take the leadership, he's sitting in a self-pity party, and he's whining and crying, and God, I think, had had enough of his crying. And here's what he said to him in Joshua 1-2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Uh, Joshua probably knew that. Therefore, the time has come for you, Joshua, to lead the people, the Israelites, across the Jordan into the land I'm giving them, into the promises. And remember, this promised land is significant to us by looking at the promises God has for us while we're on the earth, the purpose, the destiny, all these things we're supposed to be doing. So here's Joshua, and his feelings are upside down. You can't live according to your feelings. You must live according to faith in what God says. So this action that we're going to talk about, what you're going to understand, that this action breaks down the opposition. The position, this positive action helps me move into a new living place or a new promise. Now, we're going to, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to be just really open and transparent. There is a real enemy. There is a real devil. And he's after all of us. And sometimes he attacks through our marriages, through our health, through our finances, through our children. There's so many areas he can attack. But that's what he does. I want to talk about his strategy. I don't like giving the enemy so much glory and honor that everybody's looking for a devil behind the bush every time you turn around. I don't like that at all. I, it's not right. I mean, in my, here's the way I look at it. In comparison to God, the devil is a drip and God is the oceans. Okay? So we've got to get the perspective. But we do not need to be ignorant of his devices, how he operates, his strategy. So let me show you a strategy. His strategy is to come and influence how I think. He, he influences how I think. And there's a door, and he tries to get in that door. Because if he can influence how I think, my attitude change, and then my actions change. His strategy is to get into our minds. And when he gets there, he'll play mind games. The door to your life is through your mind, between your ears. Once he gets there, he builds a place. And I'm going to call it a nest, just so you have an image in your mind. The Bible calls it something else. We'll talk about it later. He builds a nest. And he, here's where he builds the nest. He builds the nest where your heart and soul meet. 
not your physical heart, but your spiritual heart. It's where your spirit man and your soulish man meet. He, he builds a nest there because he wants to affect your mind. Your soulish man is your mind, will, and emotions. Okay? So he wants to affect that. Now, if he builds the nest there, he can develop a strategy. And what is his strategy? I'm unstable in my thinking. I, I, I'm not confident. I'm, I'm double-minded. I'm in and I'm out. And I, I believe this, what God said this day, this week, next week, I don't. And so, but what, I want to declare this before I, before I get into it. Satan cannot make you fail. That's giving him too much credit. He cannot make you fail. The lie he wants you to believe is that you cannot live the Christian life. You can't get to your promises that God has for you. God established in a book before the world was formed, it's in the Psalms, a blueprint of your life and your purpose and your destiny on this earth. Those promises, he cannot make you fail. He wants you to believe that no matter how hard you try, you will always fail. But you have to remember he has no truth in him. He is the father of lies. You have to remember that if you're a believer, he has no authority in you because you're in the authority of Jesus Christ. That was in the second message of this series. But darkness cannot, over, cannot overcome light. Light overcomes darkness. So every person, when we come to Christ, we have certain mindsets. We, we have a nest of information that's already formed when you come to Christ. And it's sitting there at the intersection of the heart, intersection of the soul. Some come with pictures of God like, you know, you, you, you learn what you should believe about God. Or you have a, a picture of you of what you actually do believe about God. So when you come to Christ and you begin to learn more about the scriptures and the word and the Holy Spirit and the teachings, it has, a, it has to filter down through the existing beliefs in your mind. Here's the problem. The problem is that truth cannot always penetrate a mind that's filled with old mindsets. And here's why. Most minds come into salvation stubbornly, old attitudes, bad habits. Here's why. When you're born again, your spirit man is dormant. It's dead. When you become born again, your spirit man comes alive. Well, before that, your soulish man has been directing, driving this vehicle. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. So now there's somebody else leading. That spirit man that comes alive is your connector to the Spirit of God. That's where you hear from God, receive from God, talk to God. Now your spirit man is wanting to change your old habits, your old patterns, your old thinking. And so there's opposition, there's headbutting. The attitudes that you have, you protect them, and what you do is you self-erect strongholds around your attitude and what you think and what your beliefs. You're set, you're ingrained. So the key for us is to keep receiving truth, to have a teachable spirit, and, and to grow and mature, and then allow the God and His Word to tear down those old mindsets and show us the truth. Here's what James said. Here's the way he said do it. In chapter 1, verse 21, he said, Get rid of all the filth and evil in your heart, in your lives. That's come to salvation. And humbly accept the Word God has placed in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. My soul needs to be saved. My soul needs to be renewed. Scripture calls it being transformed. What needs to be transformed? My mind, my will, my emotions. My emotions need to be transformed into the way God wants them. My will, my desire needs to be God's desire, and my mind needs to have the mind of Christ. And so many of us have formed concepts of God from old ideas rather than truth. I'll give you a couple examples. <clears throat> there are some people who believe that, that God only accepts them when they measure up. That it, it, when we measure up and we do all these right things and these steps and these things, then God accepts us. 
Well, you see, that's not true. That, where's grace in that? There's no grace in that. And, and, and some have the idea that every time you fail, God is angry at you, and it's like, whoops, all right, go all the way back to go, you know, start all over. Uh, you, you, you're, you're being punished. I'm mad at you. I'm angry at you. That is not true. Let me show you what Paul said in Romans 12. Look at this on the screen. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let your, your body, your temple, be a living holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How's he going to do that? By changing the way you think. Changing your thinking. Then you learn to know God's will for your life. Watch God's will, which is a good will, pleasing, and perfect. I want his perfect will. Now, Satan's strategy is if you continue to believe a lie, at some point it'll cause you to live in bondage. People who live by that mindset that I've got to live, I've got to, I've got to accomplish a certain standard before God accepts me, they're living in bondage. A religion or tradition has them in bondage. They're not free. They're, they're not as free as Jesus died for you to be. You're in bondage. You become unstable in your thinking. How, what does that do? That affects your future. It affects what God has planned. You're unstable. It's not constant. You lose your inner confidence. So Satan knows that if he could put lies in your mind, eventually he has control over you because he's going through the old mindsets. Once you understand truth and apply truth, that's what sets you free. Because when you go into the dark room, you turn on the light, the darkness has to leave. Once you see light and you use the authority of Christ, then whatever's holding on to your thinking pattern, it's going to fail. It's going to fall apart. Without truth, lies, if it's not in that net, whatever's in the nest becomes part of who you are in life. Not because the enemy has possessed you. No, it's not that. It's because we have believed negative thoughts so long that now we have rehearsed them over and over and over again. It's what you could call unholy rehearsals. That you have believed something from that little nest that you've protected now, that your mindset that's in error because truth can't get there, and you've, you've rehearsed it so long, it's unholy rehearsed. And listen, we, we, we rehearse. If you've ever going to a meeting or a business deal fell through or this didn't work and there was a failure and you're going in to talk to people, you're rehearsing how you're going to respond, what you're going to say, or if you, you know, you're going to tell these people off, you're rehearsing telling people off. As some of you driving down the interstate, you know, I-10, you're rehearsing because you're, you're rehearsing two and that person out, they just cut you off. And a lot of you rehearse and you use sign language when you rehearse too, but it's not just words. Some of you sit in front of a TV or computer and begin to fantasize in your mind. You're, you're rehearsing things over in your mind over and over and over again. If you cannot conquer those moments of rehearsal and you rehearse enough, you become what you think. You can rehearse something long enough and you never had a plan of actually saying it or a plan of actually doing it, but it all of a sudden, in a moment, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of rejection, in a moment of disappointment and anger, all of a sudden you've opened your mouth, you said this, all of a sudden you did this, you did that. You didn't, it just came out. Why? Because you've rehearsed it. You've thought it. You've rehearsed it so many times with your mouth, and now you've created it, and, and now you're saying it, and, and listen, you can't take it back. You know, somebody goes off on you, and then they realize, oh, no, I made a mistake. And what are they? Oh, I was just kidding. You're not kidding. You've been rehearsing it. It's, in your, it's, it's, it's there. You're believing it. You rehearsed unholy rehearsals over and over will eventually lead to sin. Now, the devil is not 
the original in this, the devil is always the counterfeit. So if there are unholy rehearsals, are there holy rehearsals? Well, here's what God did. This same group of people that came out of Egypt, they're 430-something years. He comes out, and he sets up with Moses. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set up appointed times throughout the year. In fact, I'm going to pick seven of them. And I want everybody to come to these holy convocations. And in these assembly times, here's what I want you to do. I want you to practice. I want you to rehearse over and over and over and over, bringing a sacrifice, worshiping me, bringing offerings, all of these elements of who God wants his people to be. I want you to rehearse them, practice them over and over. Here's why. God knows if we rehearse over and over and over, when the moment comes, when the time comes, when the giant shows up, then we are comfortable with what God has said to us through our promises. That's exactly what happened to Caleb. Ten guys said, no, we can't do it. Caleb says, oh, yes, we can because God said we can. And did he do it? Yeah, he did it at 85 years old. Give me the mountain with all the giants on it. Why? Because he was comfortable. He had rehearsed what God said. He didn't have the Bible that we have. And he didn't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit like we have. What did he have? He had the word that Moses spoke out of his mouth that God said, but that's what he held on to. Satan stole the ideal of holy rehearsals, and he uses it in the negative. So you get people to reserve, rehearse unholy thinking over and over and over again, and when the time comes, the moment comes, and there's the trap, they're set up. They say something, they do something they never thought they'd never say or do. Anybody ever done that besides me? Yeah. Well, all of you didn't raise your hands, but should have. Unholy rehearsals allow you to think on areas that continue to bring you down. So now let's, let's, go, to the, let's go to the main text, 2 Corinthians 10.3. Now there are three words in this script. You're going to be familiar with this text, but there are three words I'm going to pull out of this text. Uh, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's what we're talking about, that nest. Verse 5. Casting down arguments. Notice those three words. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Notice the last phrase. Bringing every thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, those three words in verse 5, arguments. Why are there arguments? The, the, actually, the word, it's, it's, it, why, why are we reasoning within ourselves? Because of our imaginations. Stay with me. If you can imagine something and continue to allow Satan to deceive you, here's what happens. Your imagination begins to enlarge and gets out of proportion. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger than it really is. And eventually you believe something that's not true. Imaginations are our thoughts dressed with clothes. Your being follows imagination. It's the way you were built. And you reap in your being what you've sown in your imagination. Your imagination is a gift from God, and you use it for solving problems, for making decisions, for following your competence, for, for inventions and creativity, and all those things. We all have imaginations, and they can make correct conclusions when they're based on truth and on the Word of God. Imagination, the root word is conclusion or solution. So what did verse 5 say? Cast down imaginations, conclusions, and build new solutions. This is where Satan comes in. There's a battle, there's a giant going on. Why? Because only, watch, the imagination based on truth can become a reality. Imagination based on lies, not truth, becomes a fantasy. So I have to know the truth. 
fantasies are played out in the delusional side of the mind, and Satan tries to abuse our imagination to get us to fantasize. Fantasy defined is simply this, our imagination built and based on untruth. So if your imagination is based on untruth, then there's a mindset that develops that the Bible calls a stronghold. That's where that fantasy lives. And so when Satan comes to rehearse the stronghold of fantasy over and over and over, it becomes a reality. I'll just give you a couple of just isolated instances. Let's just take a mother, and she's at home, and her teenage kids are out on Friday night, and they're late. They're an hour late. The phone, they're, they're not answering their phone. And all of a sudden, she hears the street behind her. Here goes a siren, and here goes an ambulance, and here goes a fire truck. What happens? The fear steps up. What does it begin to do? It begins to fantasize in my mind. Oh, oh, God, what's happened? Are they, you know, did they have a wreck? Or they, do I need to call the ER? Do I need to call the police? And all of a sudden, we get all, it becomes so big. It's not truth, but it becomes truth in my mind. I'll give it an extreme opposite. Denial. Denial. Here, here, here's the way this, you become so unstable. Here's how denial works. Your marriage is on a scale of 1 to 10, it's a minus 2, but you're in denial. Oh, it's not that bad. We just never talk. That's denial. Oh, it's, it's not that bad. We just don't sleep in the same bedroom. That's denial. That's, that's that fantasy in, inside of you telling you something that, that, that you don't have to acknowledge that. It's not a problem. Lust, things, or items, or people. And, and you believe the lie that those things or items or those people become part of you and your dreams and your promises. Self-condemnation. Listen, our imaginations connected to lies and untruth, self-condemnation. Here's what happens. We begin to condemn ourselves. And we, we, you're, you're not good. You're, you're no good. You're, you're a failure. You've always been a failure. You're, you're just a blundering idiot. You're stupid. You're dumb. You're the, and we just, we just condemn ourselves. Now, watch this. The most godlike thing we do is use our imagination. See, for the most part, when I went to imagination, most of us went negative on it. But the most powerful thing we do like God is use our imagination. Unless it's based on a lie. If it's based on a lie, then it's fantasy. Our fantasies can't become reality because they're based on a lie. So if you can imagine something and continue to allow Satan to deceive you, then those things get out of proportion, and they're bigger than reality, and eventually you believe something that's not true. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll fess up. You know, most of you have done the filth and done the same things I have. You had a headache for a couple days. I don't ever have headaches. Why do I have a headache right there? That's so strange. And sit down one evening and watching TV, and there's a special program on, and, well... They're talking about headaches. And they interview three people. And they all have headaches, and their headaches are right in the same place my headache is. And then they research it and they go on and say, oh, yeah, this is a special this and that, and this happens, and because of this, and here's the tumor, and here's this, and da 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 and all this. And you think, if you let that get in there and fantasize, I'm not going to live till the sun comes up. <laughs> I'm going to die. Or someone you know rejects you, and, I, I, and not necessarily in a bad way, but, but, you know, they just reject your offer. They reject doing business with you. They reject selling you the house. They reject this. They reject that. And you take it so personal. So the next time you see them at church, they, they, they don't speak to you. And you, you begin to think, well, man, they must hate me. 
You know, it wasn't that they didn't see you or they were, didn't feel well or worked all night or something like that. But, and they must hate me. And you know what? They must have told so-and-so about it too because they didn't speak to me. And it gets so big that nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I can't go to church. Nobody cares about me. You rehearse that nobody loves you. It gets so out of proportion. And listen, I know that most of you won't admit all of this that I'm saying. Because it would like, I don't think like that. Yes, you do at times. The Bible says, cast down these arguments in the mind. Why? Because if you're not, you're arguing with yourself. You're reasoning with self. You've got to get to the end of the reasoning because it will be in your mind and it will produce a double-minded lifestyle and you're unstable. It is that powerful that it gets ingrained. It, it gets locked in when you reason with yourself. Have you ever heard a song in the morning going to work or whatever and that song like sticks with you all day long and you go home singing and it's just like, or if you, if you go to Disney World and you go, it's a small world after all. It's like, I still have that in my head, you know, and, and it's just, it just ingrained. Satan's strategy is he gets a song, he gets an ideal in your mind, and he loops it over and over and over. I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm dumb, I'm, I'm a failure. Mama doesn't love me, my sister doesn't love me, they, they didn't speak to me, nobody likes me. Your mind is consumed, why? Because of unholy rehearsals. Cast down, that term is not a nice gesture. It means go in for the kill. Go in for the kill. Silence the voice. And what, as I'm talking to you, you need to look at yourself as a juror. As you're sitting there and you're hearing a lawyer making closing arguments to the jury, and, and you know, are they convinced with no doubt of the truth or are they convinced in believing a lie? Because some of us have let our minds run wild with thoughts like these, and you've rehearsed them for years, and you've got to get honest with yourself. You've got to be convinced that, okay, this is, I've been believing a lie. You have to have the truth so it can expose the lies. When this spirit, it, 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 when truth is there, then you realize who you really are. You're, you're a child of God. Then you really realize that God's my Father. You realize that Jesus is my Savior. He's my best friend. Cast down the lie. You put your foot on it and stop rehearsing. The word cast down, the definition means to demolish. Don't quit demolishing until you can't hear the voice of the giant anymore. I'm going to say it again because it means repeating. When David fought Goliath, Goliath was not his name. That was his title. It was champion of the Philistines. He was a champion beheader. He was a warrior. When he fought him, he fought him with a sling and a stone. The only thing exposed was his forehead he was accurate because he was a shepherd boy. He was a slinger. He slung the stone, and it hit him right there and knocked him to the ground, probably knocked him unconscious, but it didn't kill him. So he still had a voice. He could grunt. He could groan. He could still call out something. But what did David do? He went over, and he took the giant's own sword and cut off his head. Guess what? He does not have a voice anymore. That's what we have to do in the unholy rehearsals. When the unholy rehearsals come, cut it off and don't rehearse it anymore. But, because in a, there is an unholy action that will eventually come out of you if you keep thinking about it. If it never comes out in your speech, it will come out in your actions. Don't think you, don't think you fool everybody because, because you never said it. Here's what the Bible says. And, and you, you probably ought to write this verse down. You probably know it. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. 
as you think in your heart, that, that's how you are. You, you can tell when you talk to a person when, when they're not with you. I mean, you're talking, and, but they're, they're, not, they're, they're not saying it, but they're thinking it. Think how long, you know, you know the, the word says to not let anything corrupt come out of your mouth. Don't let anything abscess come out of your mouth, a disease of words come out of your mouth. The words that come out of your mouth indicate if you're building or if you have a nest for a giant or if you're being transformed by the word of God to take your promises. So what do I do with this giant? You have to take authority over him. That's what Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty one. 21. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. Take the sword of the spirit, the word of God in your hand. Stand on your front porch of your house, probably not physically, maybe spiritually, and dare him to show up. If you do it physically, they may call the police or something if you're out there with a sword walking around. Walk in your bedroom, demand this spirit to leave. With a committed thought life, you rid the negative thinking because you stopped the unholy rehearsals. What did Peter say? He said in 1 Peter 1.13, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Run the race. Put yourself together. But use your head for a helmet of salvation and not a place for a nest. Guard the door of your thinking. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. I need a committed thought life. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I need a consecrated thought life. And I'm still on point one. <laughs> and I know you're not hungry, so we're, we're here for a while. At least another hour, right? No, I'm kidding. Now watch, I want to show you a story. Actually has to do with these same people group. Not, not, not the Girgashites, but in that whole list. This is about a guy who was a king. In the, in the Old Testament, there are positions and titles and people who are foreshadowings of something or types. So this guy is a type of the devil. He was a king. And, and, and he, 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 he was an illustration actually of Satan himself. And he's a king that operated like a devil. His name is Adonai Bezek. And here's what he did. He went out and he captured 70 kings. He came into those kings, took their crowns off, took their robes off, dethroned them. Then he cut their thumbs off and he cut their big toes off. And then he built a dungeon under his palace, under the dining room table, and he put grids in the floor so that the only food these 70 people would get is while the king and his family's eating, if they decide to rake some crumbs off, that's how they're fed. He's the type of Satan. Watch what happens, though, to him. It's in Judges, it's in chapter 1, verse 5, and they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Parasites. That's, we're going to be talking about that group in a few weeks. And then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table, as I have done so as God replied, repaid me. And then, then, then he dies. Listen. Satan is trying to pull an Adonai Bezek on us. Here, here's why. Because if he can dethrone you, that means you don't realize your authority that you're standing in. If he takes your thumbs off, now I'm talking about spiritual analogy, I'm not talking about physical. If he takes your thumbs off, you can't use a sword, sword of the spirit. If he cuts your toes off, you can't stand firm, you're unstable. 
And then, it, then he disqualifies you how? By keeping you weak because you're depending on the Spirit for food. But in this story, it reversed and he got payback. In this story, this type and shadow of Satan, the devil himself, it reverses and he gets paid back for what he's done and he's dead. I believe that once we stop the unholy rehearsals, that this spirit, that we can cut its thumbs off, its big toes, take its authority away, and listen, the only way it can move and have any strength is whatever I feed it. So if I stop feeding it, it's going to die. If I, listen, if I feed my imagination off of God, it's going to grow and be healthy. If I feed my imagination off of a lie from the enemy and Satan and deception, that's what's going to grow. And what's growing there is a fantasy. It's not real. It, has, it can't become a reality. But if I connect my imagination to God and His Word, which God gave us the imagination, He gave us that. It's not just creativity. It is a part of God that He instilled in us, and that's when we're the most like God. But it can't, that imagination can't become reality unless I connect it to God and believe what the Word says and believe truth. Then... The way I'm designed starts to happen. See, here's, here's what I want you to see. I know you have a purpose. I know God put you here. Yes, our purpose is, yeah, we're going to go to heaven. That's in the next life. That's eternity. Yes, yes, yes. But now, the, the 80, 90 years we have here, we have a purpose here. We have a destiny here. And I think what opens it up is the truth of revealing, I believe, I've been believing that lie, what they said, how they taught me. I've been off base with all of that for so long. Truth comes and corrects me, and I stop rehearsing lies that I believe, and I start rehearsing truth. Guess what? Now, the door to my mind. Here's the door to your mind. It's your imagination. Now, the door to my mind is based on truth, the Word of God. It's wholesome. It's pure. It's lovely. It's pleasing to God. Guess what He does? He steps me into my promises. When I step into my promises, guess what happens? My imagination starts working. Then when the enemy comes, God pulls out of me what to say, what to do. He directs my steps. He orders my steps. He, he, he leads me. He guides me. It's all of the things that I need to do. But I have to understand. I have to understand God's, God's plan. I have to understand. And, and, and let me say this, and I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit because I'm, I'm out of time. What you leave as a heritage, mom and dad, what you leave as a heritage can be no better and no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your mind. And, here, and listen, either unholy rehearsals or holy rehearsals shape you. Either holy or unholy have shaped you. And you can leave a, as a heritage, it's no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your mind. But here's what I want you to understand about God and His Word. Good thoughts can never produce bad results. And bad thoughts can never produce good results. Good thoughts involve the habits of choice. Now, here's the deal. I know I got two points, but they'll be like that. Here's the deal. Here's how I see this. It's easier to blame the enemy with all of our problems, and there's a devil behind every bush, and make him this big, 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 big monster than it is to be disciplined and be responsible to take the word and impart the word into my life. Getting a little close there? Yeah. 
But you see, the way we're built, if we take his word and we inject, and, 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 and here, here's my second point, okay? I might as well get there. The second point is do the word. First thing is take positive action. Number two is do the word. What do you mean? Follow the instructions of the word. Joshua 1.7, he's taken over. Watch what God said to him. Only be strong, very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Stay in the word. Stay in the word. Don't go right or left. Don't be unstable. Don't be done. Stay in the word, and you, you're going to prosper. You're, you're going to hit the promises. Number three is meditate on the word. The next verse, verse 8. Watch this. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, your promises, and then you'll have good success. Now, I'm going to ask you a personal question, okay? It's okay if you answer it. Nobody's looking at you. How many of you talk to yourself? Come on. How many of you talk to yourself? Yeah. You know that most of the time when we talk to ourselves, we put ourselves down? That's when we talk to ourselves. You dummy. You fool. You idiot. can't believe you said that. I can't believe you. Know, we put ourselves down. Listen. The more you meditate on the word, the more you muse on the word and take the word in, here's what happens. When you start talking to yourself, you start talking out of the influence of the word. It's really hard for me to say to myself, you stupid idiot. It's really hard for me to put my, why? Because the word is there and it goes against the word. God doesn't see me that way. Did I fail? Yeah, I failed. Did I make a mistake? Sure, I made a mistake. But that, it doesn't change the way God sees me. Yeah, the influence of the word of God is so powerful. Not, and here's why. It changes the way we behave. The mind is so powerful because what you think is so powerful. The mind is where this giant works, and it's strong, and it's a powerful working. And it's why it's so hard to break because our culture is constantly programming our minds with unholy rehearsals. But this Gergeshite spirit is operating today, and it's very serious, but it can be defeated. What do you do? Number one, take positive action. Stop unholy rehearsals. Number two, do the word. Renew your mind. Stay in the word. Number three, meditate on the word. Tell yourself what God says about you, what God says about your promise. Here's the question. Did they conquer the land? Did they defeat these people? Yes, they did. They overcame because they had an opportunity to beat the obstacles, and they fulfilled it, and they did it. They conquered. They utterly destroyed this giant. Here's what they knew. They didn't know it the way I'm saying it, but they knew this. Our mind doesn't control us. We control our minds. We can control our thoughts, but remember, our feelings come from our thoughts. So we can control our feelings by learning to change the way we think. Because as a man thinks, so is he. I, can, can I have a minute? I want, I want to read you something. I want you to listen to this. Someone sent this to me uh, after the message uh, last night. And, and this is Os Oswald Chambers. Listen, this is so good. And he's talking about Isaiah, Isaiah 40 and all this. But, 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 but this is what I want to read. He says, the test of spiritual consecration is bringing the imagination into captivity. Is your imagination looking on the face of an idol? Is the idol yourself, your work, your conception of what a worker should be, your experience of salvation? Then your imagination of God is starved. Think about it. If your imagination is on everything that's out there and not on God, it's starved, and when you are up against difficulties, you have no power. You can only endure in darkness. If your imagination 
is starved, do not look back to your own experience. It is God whom you need. Go right out of yourself, away from the face of your idols, away from everything that has been starving your imagination, and deliberately turn your imagination toward God. That is, that, that is so powerful. That, that's in his utmost for his, for his highest. That is so powerful that our imaginations are from God and they're, we're never more like God, but we're starving it. We're not doing it intentionally. That's why we need to know how this giant operates. We're distracted with unholy rehearsals. All of us. And I'm not, I'm not talking about weird and spooky and perverted stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about day in and day out life. Here's why. Because the enemy cannot make you fail. But if he can deceive you with lies and you believe lies long enough that they become truth, then you miss what God has planned for you because you're walking in a fantasy. But when you take your imagination and renew it to what God says and then his spirit leads and orders your steps, guess what will happen? Despite your failures, despite your shortcomings, despite all that, you will walk into the promise that God has for you on this earth and you can fulfill what he's called you to fulfill on this earth and you will be blessed and prospered while you do it. Now that's good news. Three of you think it's good news. Thank you for your confidence. Here's what I want as a pastor. I want you to fulfill what God's called you to do. I want you to walk in a place of blessing. I want you to walk in a godly imagination. Who knows what God has planned for your life? You young guys, who knows what God has? Don't allow the imagination to be twisted and turned and, and, and practice unholy rehearsal. Let it go to God. It's source. Don't starve it from the Word of God because then everything else is feeding it. Feed it from the Word of God. Feed it from the presence of God. Feed it from what God says. And watch what happens. Watch what happens to your life. You will conquer the enemy, cut off his voice, but you will, more importantly, live in the promises God has for your life. Let me pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much. And God, I thank you that you're a living God. You're not a statue. You're not cold. You're living. And I thank you that your word is active and living. And I thank you, Lord, that as believers, when we apply this to our lives, it changes us. So today, Lord, we've learned how the enemy's strategy is set up. And now, Lord, we take the responsibility of taking our imagination and not starving it, but connecting it to you so it becomes strong and healthy. So we fulfill your purpose. We fulfill and walk in the promises you have for us. Bless your people as they receive your word today in Christ's name. And the church said, amen. amen. God bless you.